I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast, and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here today to talk about an article I wrote called What's Next, and I have my three colleagues and good friends here with me today, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Nathan Straw. Happy Friday. And Drew Dill. Happy Friday as well. So today, we'll talk about what's next. Here's the article I wrote. Um, I started out with saying, hey, there's these three billionaires, Mr. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Richard Branson. What do they all have in common? They're all billionaires, um, but they all have similar aspirations. They are all trying to go to space and where no man has been before. Did any of you guys know the reference I was making there? This is Star Trek. Oh, good job, Sean Latimer, Star Trek. Um, But what I was talking about is, do we think these guys have uh, achieved their financial goals? Yeah. Uh, They have far surpassed any level of financial freedom or what they wanted to buy. They are some of the richest people in the world. But that doesn't mean that they've used up all their goals or aspirations. Now they're starting to dream bigger. Uh, These guys want to go to Mars. They want to do space travel. They want to make it something that the everyday person can do. They want to be innovators. They want to leave a legacy. And I don't think that is very different from the clients that we talk to. Uh, Good chance that most of the clients that we talk to will never be billionaires. But does that mean that they can't have big dreams? It doesn't. Uh, And that's what I wanted to talk about today with this idea of financial planning and how do you peel back the layers of saying, okay, after you achieve that, then what? Then what? Then what? And challenging people to kind of dig deeper on things that would be more meaningful, more purposeful, and really get um, the most lift out of their dollars to drive uh, what they aspire to. Uh, to really enjoy the fruits of their labor. Uh, it, it really is probably one of the most fun parts of our jobs as advisors is when you can sit down with a client and they've done a great job saving. They're very prudent spenders. And then you can kind of lay out the scenarios that, hey, you, you've done a great job saving and we've stress tested it and you can go do more than what you expected. So now let's create like a bucket list of fun things to do. I'm going to encourage you to go on trips to get that vacation home to help your grandkids. And it's a really nice feeling when they didn't realize it. And uh, yeah, it's all the fun stuff. Do you ever notice when you do that with some uh, certain clients, they've gotten there because they're so prudent, right? And because they're such good spenders or right spenders in a good sense, not in the, the negative sense. That it's hard for them to do those lists. Oh, of course. Because they're like, I don't want to go out and spend that type of money because that's how they got there. Yeah, we, exactly. You do something for 30 years. It's hard to break that habit. And uh, it's a good habit to have. But now they, they get to enjoy the the fruit from the tree. Yeah. We talked about one podcast that uh, as, as hard it is to break bad habits, good habits are hard to break too. Great point. Oh, you guys have bucket list items? Someday. <laughs> no, what, I mean, what are, what, are, what are some things like, because in the article I said, uh, I made a very long word, right? And I said, if we won the lotto, here's a couple things that we would do. Uh, what is that for you guys? I might be checking off my, my first year or my most up and coming one, which is buying a house. Okay. Um, that's always been up there for me. Yeah. And you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's they, be that there. was the last We can't invite Nate item. to these ones. He has, he has really cool bucket list items. Well, if we invite him, he just can't say it first. Because yeah. then yeah. now Sean and I are like, I don't, yeah. what can't beat that. Anything, Anything come to mind for you, Drew? 
Uh, yeah, bucket list for me would be, um, I think going to seminary, getting an MDiv would be something that's definitely on there for a longer term uh, thing. And then some, uh, you know. Um, Masters mi- of Divinity. Yeah, and then some probably ministry ambitions um, as well in longer term. Like what? Helping out. Um, anything from from philanthropically, like investing in foreign missions and home missions um, for planning churches and things like that. Um, it'd be of great interest as well. And then obviously continuing to help out in the local church as much as possible, but bigger, bigger, uh, you know, 30,000 foot view going to seminary and, um, just more for the intellectual curiosity, um, and the value that it would provide. So, yeah. And is seminary free? No. There's a cost. Yeah. Time and money, right? Which is why I don't go right now. Yeah. (laughs) So that's where it makes it, it's placed into a financial plan. That's exactly right. What about you, Sean? Mine are probably... It's funny, I, I was thinking of them as you guys were talking, and they're probably a little bit more common. You know, I, my wife and I have three little kids, and I want to be able to support them and let them do the things they want to do as they grow up, whether it's sports or if they want to go to college. I want to help pay for that. And uh, I want to be able to take care of, you know, my family and my extended family, my siblings and parents and my wife's parents, if, if ever need be. But I haven't really thought about the, the big dream ticket items, and so I'm going to have to put more thought into that. Yeah, and that's where I kind of, towards the end of the article, um, what you're calling basic financial goals, I have them too. So I think that they're absolutely appropriate. I think sometimes interesting conversations, which people don't get to have a lot, is that idea of like what I said, peeling back and saying, okay, let's say you've accomplished all those, then what? Um, Because then you start to get down to, I don't know, what is unique to you? What intrigues you? Kind of what makes your heart sing? And I think that can be fun. In the article, I called it a treasure hunt. Uh, I know I, I had lunch with one of Nate's friends the other day uh, that recently uh, adopted a child. And that has been something on my wife, uh, my, my heart and my wife's heart. Um, does that mean that we want to adopt a child? I don't know. I just know that that's something that sparks my curiosity, that something happens to me when I hear somebody talking about it, whether it's fostering or adopting. So for us, we look at it as a treasure hunt. If any of those clues ever drop... Um, where somebody's telling us about it, we ask them questions about it. Or uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, we're having a family over that helps support foster families. And we're going to figure out how can we can donate to the organization and understand what they do. I met with somebody recently for lunch that uh, is uh, close with somebody that um, uh, helps run Olive Crest and, and what they do there. So again, we have no idea. And I think that's the fun part is that like, okay, we feel like God put this on our heart. Uh, we're interested in this. We have more resources than we need. Uh, we want to be charitable. We want to share. Uh, where does this lead us? I don't know. And that's where you kind of just follow one clue at a time, which I think is pretty enjoyable. It makes sense too, because once your basic needs are met, you know, and you're financially secure and, and you have comfort. And like you said, if you have more resources than you need, uh, I think purpose becomes more important to people and, and they want to feel like they, they fill that cup. And so it, it makes sense that when you get that feeling of on a certain topic, you, you should pull on that thread and see where it goes. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. Yeah. And, and just from a practical standpoint, from what Sean was talking about earlier, it is really a fun part of the advisor's job, right? To, to be able to kind of go on that journey or encourage clients to, to think through some of those fun things, you know, especially as you know the client and get to know them more, um, usually, it, you know, facilitates good conversation. It's so funny too because sometimes they, the, the most common question I probably hear is, "Hey, am I going to be okay?" Right. And, that, and then you're almost like, "Oh, they're serious. That they're not sure." Yes, yes, 
Like you couldn't spend all this money if you tried because you know those habits. And that anxiety has roots. So like, I know it's true for me. Like I saw family struggle with finances a lot. That's a huge reason I work Mm. in this industry because I had an anxiety (laughs) or fear that, um, you know, the only way to overcome that was knowledge. So I wanted to understand this intricately. Um, I also have a teacher's heart. So I like teaching other people um, and keeping them out of harm's way. But I saw a lot of close family members, um, have destructive behavior when it comes mm-hmm. to finances. I think anxiety is probably one of the biggest roadblocks to dreaming and to doing some of the bigger idea, you know, concepts that you want to tackle later on in life. Cause you're so focused in the now and you know, the nitty gritty of the problems that you might be facing. But, um, I really like that you touched on that, uh, in the article too, about, you know, contentment. I'm sure you'll tackle that later, but yeah. And, and further piggybacking on both of your points, I think that, I really like the article that you wrote here, Trevor, and the idea because I think that most advisors don't do the facilitating of having them dream bigger because to Sean's point, most clients are saying, am I going to outlive my money or is my money out going to live me? That's the biggest question. And I feel like most advisors, when they answer that question, they feel like their job's done. It kind of ends there rather than like you're bringing up here and the whole point of this conversation, encouraging to think a little bit bigger and outside the box. I love to read biographies, and the interesting thing about reading a biography, you'll you'll read about somebody, and uh, well, actually, I'll just talk about it. I'm reading right now the biography of Eugene Peterson, uh, the the gentleman who helped translate the the message translation for the Bible, and he grew up in Montana. And one section of the book is talking about how his family was really close with the Jacksons. That is the mother and father of Phil Jackson, the coach of uh, both the Bulls and the Lakers, one of the most famous basketball coaches of all time. Um, And Eugene Peterson's mom was a a pastor. She was a teacher. And Phil Jackson's mom came to her and said, um, hey, do you think it's okay to let Phil play basketball? Um, (laughs) We don't want him to uh, scorch his soul, but uh, Eugene runs track. Do you think Phil could play basketball? And she said, yeah, I think he could. Uh, Well, what happens from that? Phil goes on to play for the New York Knicks and then becomes one of the 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 absolute like Hall of Fame coach of all time. So you see this moment of these two people having a conversation that happened in real time. But when you read it in a biography, you get to see all the ripple effects of it. Good so, thing she said yes. <laughs> no, yeah, good thing for the Lakers, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, the reason I bring that up is because uh, for me, I, I, I have a client uh, that – he lost his wife uh, and it's just him and his son. And he talked about getting a second home. And I just started to think, cause his son's a teenager, man, what are all the memories that they're going to build here? Like they are going to, uh, you know, go on adventures. Cause it's like, a, it's a cabin out kind of out in the woods. Uh, and they're going to ride motorcycles and go fishing and all of these things. What's the ripple effect of that? It is not just trying to figure out, can you afford this and financially and finance? We did all that stuff and he can, but man, it is so much bigger than that. In in his biography, uh, you're going to see all the outcomes of what it meant when they bought that property, even for the next generation as his son inherits that home and different things like that. We have a team member here uh, that they're, they've had a, a lake home that's been passed down from generations. And I serve her parents as clients. And I know all the times that she goes up there with her family. And now there's like 12 grandkids and all of this stuff. So yeah, we, our job is to figure out if it's uh, you know affordable or if it works. But once that's all done, then the canvas is blank and open. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate that enough. 
Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more, particularly the fact of, you know, if you tackle some of these goals and dreams, you can really open up other goals and dreams that you didn't even, wasn't even on your radar in, for the first place. Yeah, totally. And one part of transition here is that the way I'm a very process oriented person. So I like to organize things. And one thing that I say is that most of financial planning is organizing, right? Organizing accounts and estate documents and organizing expenses and income sources and trying to figure out a way to present that in an easy to understand way and how to measure everything. Another thing we organize is goals. Um, And in the article, I called it uh, three different types of goals. I called it next steps, checkpoints, and finish lines. And of course, I had to relate that to video games because, you know, you got to talk about video games if you can write an article on finance. So did you three play Super Mario Brothers? Yep, definitely. Absolutely. So the whole reason I related it to Super Mario Brothers is because I remember, like, I don't, there's like these two poles and you'd hit this thing and then you'd get to like a checkpoint and you were like, this, like, yeah. like wiping the spread, uh, the sweat from your brow because you're like, oh, now that I got to this checkpoint, if something happens to me, when I start over, I start from this checkpoint. Uh, and I, I thought about financial goals are a lot like that because when you're playing the video game, um, you are worried about the obstacle in front of you. Yes, you want to finish the game and beat the last villain and all that stuff. But first and foremost, it's next steps and then checkpoints and then finish lines. What happens a lot with financial planning is we are very strategic. We look at next steps a lot. What do I need to tackle this week? What's coming around the corner? Whatever. Sometimes we'll look at checkpoints like retirement. It's very rare that we think about finish lines. It's very rare that we think about when you're on your your dying bed and you look back at your life. Um, what are some things that you were happy of, proud? What regrets do you have? We don't frame uh, our thinking a lot like that because we like to live in the world of next steps and checkpoints. And that's good and that's needed. But it's this idea that there's two parts to financial planning. One is uh, vision. Where do I want to go? And then two is strategic. How do I get there? Uh, A lot of the time we focus a lot more on strategic than vision. It makes sense too because you almost need a process because if you were to try and do multiple things at once, it may not work out or it may not pencil out. It may take kind of a, a, a stepping stone or you have to go through each process or each step to get to that checkpoint for, it to, for you to be able to do the next thing. Uh, 100%. So I have a problem sometimes. I put a lot of pressure on myself that, oh, I wanted my finances to, to be here because then I will relieve myself of that anxiety. But then I have to remind myself, wow. I got another like 20 or 30 years of working in, in my life. Uh, and that's 20 or 30 years of saving. And that's 20 or 30 years of compounding. Um, I, I I would measure myself that I'm ahead of schedule. I need to take a little pressure off. You know what I mean? Like Rome wasn't built in the day. So I think the, the vision can also overwhelm you, you know, even if it's a good vision, if you don't have those, it broken up in a little pieces over time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you see this, and you, you relate Super Mario, but you see this in sports, right? Baseball teams, basketball teams, all of their goals are to win a World Series or a championship. But if you hear them interviewed after a game or before a game for a big game, they're focused not on the World Series. They're focused on winning that very game at hand. That's that's the task. They're not they're not going to talk about game two of the seven game series. They're going to talk about game one because that's that's what's at hand. Very similar. Even though in the trajectory we know what the goal is, but we're not really talking about that yet because we're going to focus on getting this done today so that we can get there. 
yeah, the athletes do a great job of both being present and aspirational. Yep. Right. I have this this main goal in mind, but the here and now, I got to be present and pitch this pitch step up to the plate, win this game or whatever that might be. Yeah. And there's two pitfalls, right? Cause there's some people who only think vision, right? And then they're not faithful to the small things like doing those checkpoints, like getting in the nitty gritty, saving, doing your contributions to an IRA or your savings and so forth. So they need to understand that little bricks faithfully put, right. We'll make a big house over time. So they don't need the vision. They have the vision. They need to be faithful to lay the bricks, right, brick by brick, but they don't. But then the other pitfall, and this is the topic that's at hand today, is that there's a lot of advisors and clients that don't step back and say, let's stretch the vision. Let's play with the vision. Let's, let's talk about not just are you going to outlive your money. We're, we're, we're going to do that. But what are other aspirations and goals that you have? And, and I, I love it because there's two, there's two dangers, but they both should always be avoided and keeping both in hand at all times. Yeah, and part of kind of what you're alluding to is this idea of almost gradualism, like the positive side of gradualism, that, hey, if I get a little bit better each day and I look back after 365 days, uh, that compounds at some big differences. Um, and Sean and I uh, had a past life together where we worked at, uh, together since we were um, young adults. And uh, we remember this very much, that uh, management training was all about making smart goals Things that were specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound. I will never forget that because I had to go through it so much. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was saying from a financial planning. Just look at two of those things, attainable and realistic. You have to set goals that are attainable and realistic because if you're a, a high jumper, you know you want to move that bar up a little bit higher um, and stretch yourself to get a new personal best, but you're not going to move that bar up a foot. That's just silly. It doesn't make sense. That's not realistic or that's not attainable. So part of setting goals is uh, not a one and done, but saying, hey, where I am today, what is a good goal to get to? And and you alluded to it, this idea of like, maybe it is saving $100 a month. Perfect. And then maybe it's saving 150 and then 200 and maybe it's um, uh, being a little bit better on budgeting or whatever. You add all these little things up and they will compound over time. I also talked about that is where we find happiness. A, a lot of happiness comes from expectations. Um, this idea, did we fall short of our expectations or did we exceed our expectations? So part of it is setting the bar at the right height. Um, so that you can get these little wins that you can derive joy and accomplishment um, and fuel you to keep setting you know, those next incremental goals. You know who is really good at that? I'm reading a biography too right now. And uh, John D. Rockefeller was instrumentally good at being really faithful to the small things, but then also stretching, right? And stretching it and stretching it um, to where obviously the rest is history. But I, I've been fascinated with those. He has those tensions to where... Everything was smart, realistic, and measurable, and he gradually, incrementally, right, continued to to press on. So, sorry, it's fresh in my mind, but no, a, a, a biography. I, I look forward to reading. I'm like on a kick right now. I already like downloaded. Uh, I'm going to read a biography about Francis Schaeffer because I love Francis Schaeffer. But um, like, I, I'm queuing up the next books that I'm going to read because it is so fun to um, 
you know, watch how somebody's life plays out and then see these moments. I'm like, oh, gosh, this was the incremental moment. This was that, I think, in Greek, that chronos moment um, where uh, there's a huge pivot in this person's life. Or if they never met that person or imagine this never happened. You know what I mean? I was I was listening to uh, a podcast this week and uh, they were talking about that moment where Mark Zuckerberg, uh, where Yahoo offered to buy um, his company for I think it was a billion dollars. Uh, and if you've watched the movie, it, it shows him going into the bathroom and throwing up after he says no. But it says that he had like 10 advisors and everybody was like, take the money except for um, one person uh, that himself was a founder, uh, founder of Netscape and some experience. And he said, no, you've got a great company. Just hold out. Um, and man, that makes a big difference. Uh, our world looks a lot different today if that transaction transaction didn't happen. So uh, we read this in biographies about people like John D. Rockefeller or Mark Zuckerberg. But guess what? It happens in everybody's life. Uh, so it's fun to watch. Yeah, I think uh, checking off those first couple boxes too allows you to gather some momentum. And then once you you know grow that momentum, it can really start to impact your psyche as to um, starting to expand and go the extra bar each time um, in terms of your overall. A belief in yourself and belief in you achieving uh, the more challenging stuff there might be to tackle. So, Agreed. Absolutely. You brought up earlier this idea of the balance between contentment and ambition. So I'll let you tee off that conversation because I think a lot of what we're talking right now, it can get you kind of psyched up in the locker room. We're going to do this. We're going to win or whatever. And ambition is a good thing. Uh, but I think there's something to be said, especially financially, on on how you figure out a way to balance this with contentment. Absolutely, I think if you're if you're not content, that can um, you know bring roots into other areas of your your mentality, your psyche, your attitudes about your ambitions. Um, when you have a solid foundation uh, as a just overall content person, um, I think it it just allows for. Um, you know, more energy and more capacity, more focus to look at your goals in general. Um, so I'd start off by saying, you know, that's that's an essential place to be. I think it's something I try to uh, always look at in my life of, you know, where am I operating from when I'm dreaming, making these goals and um, starting kind of from within, making sure I'm, I'm in a content, um, healthy place as opposed to, you know, you know, desperate or needy or, you know, um, have fear. So... And sometimes those lines can be blurred because the it's kind of a thin line to be ambitious, but to also, you know, uh, like you said, not be content. Because uh, if you're so focused on, well, when this changes or when that happens or when this, th- then everything will be better. That's not necessarily true. If you, if you can't find that peace now, you probably won't find it then. So, but that's also not to be said that you shouldn't be somewhat driven and ambitious, right? So I think that uh, finding that balance is really important. Yeah, this is such an interesting. It's such an interesting tension. I, I'm thinking again. Sorry, nerding out here with the biographies, but if you think of the early New England Puritan colonialists, who typically were high, you know, Congregational and Presbyterian Calvinists, and you look at the wealth that was created in New England from colonial times and even at the founding of our country for the first hundred years, there were a lot of Protestants who made a ton of money, and they hated it. That's the funny part. They weren't ambitious about the money. They were ambitious about doing things to the glory of God and being really faithful to their craft. They were just so good at it that they just happened to make a lot of money in doing it. 
So I think the key to your ambition is the ambition is it just wealth accumulation or is your ambition to be the best that you can be at your craft? And is money the goal or is it the byproduct? So when I think of people who are really good and passionate about what they do, I don't know if money is the driver at the end of the day. It's definitely a factor. But I think that the factor is being really good at the craft and I think that money can become a byproduct. You took the word right out of my mouth. I was going to say that's how I, I bifurcate uh, ambition. Is the ambition after excellence or is it after more? Uh, I think if it's after more stuff, more money, even if you're using money as your scoreboard, um, I think you'll get probably to a pretty empty destination. But if your ambition is excellence and honing in your craft, uh, that is the word I love to use about being a financial planner, financial advisor, is um, a craftsman, like being great at my craft and, and trying to think about um, people who work wood um, and the intricacy they can put into it and saying, hey, can I bring that same um, focus to financial planning? Uh, before I did this, and when I was in high school, I did graphic design. And I remember staying up till 2 or 3 a.m. And literally, this is not uh, exaggerating, literally like zooming into stuff I was working on and by pixel by pixel, making sure that it was smooth or it was right or it was, uh, um, it, it was sequential or it was balanced. And I think bringing that same attitude to financial planning, like that drives me. So my ambition is really um, driven by excellence. And this idea of where you find contentment, I think, is just part of it's just being present, like being being grateful because gratitude goes a long way uh, and thankful for um, all the, the the provisions that you have now um, and also being aspirational towards um, the understanding that there there are blessings and benefits that come from um, being a better craftsman. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to let these guys go because I feel like I'm going to I'm going to say too much on this one. But I, I couldn't agree with you more on that 100. percent Oh, you can't do that to us. Just go ahead and tell us what you're going to tell us now. No, I no no no. I, when I'm when I'm thinking of everything that you're saying, there's just so many examples that are flush with that. That's it, you think of um, when you hear David Bonson, right, the founder of our company. When you hear David on the news or on podcast, he always talks about human dignity that comes from work. And I think that that is such a key that people need to work because we really do derive a sense of identity and dignity in that. That's not money. Money is the byproduct. Um, if we're idle and, or if you look at the, I can name a lot of uh, examples of, of children who grew up in very wealthy homes who end up becoming nihilist essentially that this life is kind of meaninglessness because they have so much material wealth, but they don't have a drive and an ambition to work, to cultivate. There's no goal. There's no excellence. There's no dignity or identification in themselves. And that usually ends in destruction, but usually the people who are flourishing and ambitious about gradually incrementally bettering themselves via you know working and being productive in society they're usually the most happy people it's not a it's not a material wealth thing um so there's a huge distinction there that i think is so key drew dill you are gonna very much enjoy david bonson's new book that i cannot say if i have or have not read yet but uh <laughs> there's no free lunch his new book uh, you're very much gonna like it based on what you said yeah yeah drew you brought up like like Trevor said, you took the words out of my mouth. It's so true because I was thinking about that. People who maybe grow up without those resources 
maybe financial incentive drives their original behavior, but it, it is striving for excellence and kind of finding that craft and that passion that they're excited about that continues that wave. And uh, and growing up in Southern California, I've definitely seen the opposite where people don't find those things that they're interested in or find something for themselves. They do feel kind of lost as they enter adulthood and they watch their peers continue on to do other things. And, and uh, it can sometimes be sad to see because it's hard to play catch up when you feel like you're kind of like Trevor said, when you feel like you're not meeting your expectations, it's hard to feel, you know, fulfilled. Yeah. Would you guys also broaden this out as well, not just to a vocation, but also to being a husband, to being a father, to being a friend, right? Being ambitious at being good at those crafts, I think is also like a big part of it to where it's not just your vocation, but striving to be a better husband, striving to be a better father and things like that. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, uh, where your heart is, your treasure will be too. And I think that uh, things like family and stuff like that, if you value that, um, you know, sometimes we're better at measuring it with our vocation and we have people around us to tell us if we're doing good or bad um, that have front row seats to see how we're doing. Uh, and, and it it's more challenging uh, because you have to be introspective when you say like, hey, it might be in a good dad. Um, is the way that I talk to my child or uh, am I being a good friend uh, or am I, uh, you know, serving my community well? Uh, there's not always somebody to give you an annual review to tell you that. So uh, it can be a little bit more difficult. And all this is uh, hard questions, right? Because we're asking what is the driving force behind this or what fuels you? Um, those aren't easy questions to answer. And sometimes the framing behind it or, or how we understand things matters a lot. Uh, I talked about in this section, uh, when I was younger, I went to uh, Awana's, um, which was kind of like a, a Christian Boy Scouts, uh, and you'd get badges for memorizing Bible verses. So I memorized a lot of Bible verses. One of the first ones I ever did was Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, I, I saw that as I was growing up through uh, Christian athletes and things like that, and I was always thinking... I can just do anything. Like nothing can stop me if, if, if God is with me, uh, which is there truth to that statement? There is, but contextualize it from the author. Uh, I, I studied uh, that, the book that was written in Philippians in college, and I started to read the, the, the scriptures before it, uh, and it talked all about contentment. Um, Paul is saying, you know, I've been well fed and I was content. Uh, I've been starving and I've been content. So uh, we start to think... Um, ambition comes on the heels of contentment and you really need to have both of those things together even though sometimes they can feel polarizing you have to get to a point of uh, how do i hold these two things equally um to get to the points of uh fulfillment and joy and purpose and and all of these things so um again uh you know, not understanding things in full context your framing behind it and stuff like that can really drive the way that you see the world a lot of nodding heads. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> yeah, not not much else to talk about. You know, this was a, a, a little bit less um, number-centric article, but I think it matters. I, I, what I want to leave people with is these ideas of conversations that they should have with their advisor. So one of the recommendations I put kind of at the end is basically saying, hey, let's lay out all your goals, um, kind of figure out when you're, you're hoping to achieve those goals, and then take the discussion one step further, a step that we often don't do, and say, then what? And let you, the investor, the saver, the planner, let you talk. Um, I don't know. 
because uh, you're gonna get to a point where then what uh, you don't have that filled in yet and that's okay um, one of the things I talked about in the article that sometimes the whole process can be just as enjoyable as as the conclusion but the reason I'm saying that is because most of the clients that we talk to will get to kind of this end of life state uh, and they'll have a whole lot of surplus and you if you're listening to this are a steward and you're responsible for stewarding that surplus. And part of financial planning is allocating two things. So the then what question is you as the steward, what are you going to allocate these surpluses to? Because most of the people that we talk to will have leftovers. So I will wrap it up there for our listeners to think then what? Um, If you've planned through these things, like Sean talked about, the basic financial planning things, like owning a home, like covering college for your kids, like all the blessings we get to have as um, being uh, in the beautiful uh, country of America and the freedoms that we have and the ability that we can have these conversations and save and all these things, we are very blessed. Um, Now I'm going to ask a favor from you. We'll ask that you rate the podcast, leave comments. You can email any of us, that is Sean, Nate, Drew, or Trevor at tom at thebonsagroup.com questions, comments, ideas of things that you'd like us to discuss, all is welcome. And then with that, we will bid you adieu. We'll see you next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.